Hello, friends and fellow storytellers. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I am Harris III. I am thrilled to be back talking about one of our five storytelling types, the investigator. If you're confused about what I'm talking about, over the last several weeks, we've been unpacking something we call the five storytelling types. Those five types are the amplifier, the artisan, the investigator, the connector, and the revolutionary. Uh, If you're new to this, I would highly recommend just go back and listen to some of our previous episodes on each type so that you can more easily follow along on today's episode. You can also take a brief assessment over at storygatherings.com. It's right there on the homepage. Just go to storygatherings.com and you'll learn your storytelling type, a little bit more about your core motivations and why you were drawn to the power of story. It also allows us to equip you with some really helpful resources once we understand what type of storyteller you are. It's good for everybody. Our current focus is the investigator, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with my friends David Paul and Christina Hinkai during this month's Story Roundtable conversation. We do these conversations with each type once a month, at least this year. It's been something fun we've been doing, a little event series, and really just invite you all to pull up a chair at the table and discuss what makes your type unique, how it impacts and drives the way you tell stories and what questions people might have along the way. It's been really fun to see kind of a similar um, group from you all, the story community, gather at each of these events because it means that you're showing up for all of the other types, not just the one uh, that you are, which is really encouraging to us. It means that these events are accomplishing what we hope they would, that you don't just get to learn about your type, but other types as well, which is helping you better collaborate and understand the need to have multiple types on your team. We all have a little bit of each of these types in us. It's just that we have one core dominant type. These conversations have been really awesome. So let's just jump right into this episode. Uh, We're gonna be listening to David Paul talk about what he dubs behavioral storytelling. It was a fascinating part of our conversation. And quite honestly, I've used this framework and approach many times myself as a sort of litmus test for the way I approach, well, just about everything that I do. He is a genius and a good friend. Listen in. Here's David Paul. We're going to learn from people who know this better than I do here in just a moment. But I think investigators, well, for sure, they are an integral part of the storytelling process because they provide insights into data. They're really good at research. They're good at finding the facts that make up a story that needs to be told. They're really good at giving stories the depth and the roots necessary for momentum to be achieved. And sometimes um, we, those of us who aren't as skilled as investigators, we can even be a little bit guilty of putting them in the box of being too anchored in analytics or statistics or how they find truths in their work because they are really logical and innovative and adaptable and calculated. They're always in pursuit of truth, but they are also, like every other storytelling type, highly creative. So investigators can be high on the logic side of the spectrum, um, unlike the artisan that we talked about last month, Um, but it's just because they're taking this realistic approach to their work and their lives and they create impact with processes, but they still do that all through the lens of innovative ideologies, creative thinking. Um, They just have really good plans to go along with those uh, things. And so I don't know about you, but as a storyteller um, and as a creator, I struggle a little bit with the tactile linear approach to how I tell stories sometimes. 
Um, and so as we become aware of our weaknesses, we can learn to better collaborate with people who have strengths and areas that we don't. And I think that's really one of the most valuable parts of figuring out your type. And so uh, I want to introduce you to a couple people, a couple friends of mine. One is David Paul. One is Christina Hinkai. Um, we're going to come back to Christina uh, a little bit later in the call because I think she is an amazing example of helping us get outside the box and our thinking. Because when we hear a storytelling type, our mind immediately goes to a specific vocation. We hear that someone is an amplifier type and our mind goes to, oh, marketer, you must work at an agency. We hear investigator type and our mind might go immediately to research or data storytelling. And I think Christina's work is super cool. And so we're going to learn more about her in a little while. I think she's a really great case study for helping you get outside the box and you're thinking about the storytelling type. Um, I want to start with my friend, David Paul. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, welcome to, well, I shouldn't be welcoming you to Story Anything. You're plugged into almost everything that we do. You've been on stage multiple times at Story, uh, one of uh, our crowd favorites, because you have a tendency to shift our thinking and get us outside of those boxes that I was just referencing. So thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say hey to a few other people, our guests that are joining us. Catherine, hello. Welcome. Hillary, great to see you. Brandon, hello again. Uh, Robin, Karen, Warren, thanks for having your cameras on, everybody. That makes it so much more fun for us because you can interact. Brian, great to see you. Jeffrey, uh, Rebecca, looks like we got a ton of people listening in and a few others. Uh, welcome, everyone. So whether your camera is on or off, I appreciate you being here, uh, even if you just have to listen in because you're driving or it's not appropriate for you to be on camera right now. I'm thankful that you're here, but special thanks to those of us who are joining us with cameras on. We love that interaction, your presence here. Um, David, let's start from um, just what it is that you do for a living these days. Um, mm -hmm. And more importantly, what you love about the work that you do, um, because you've had your hands in a lot of things over the years as an entrepreneur, um, but also you have some really specific areas of expertise rooted in being the founder of Dialsmith, which you can tell us a little about as much as you'd like about that. Um, but really, Lillian Labs, I'm very fascinated by the work that you guys are doing um, through that company. Tell us a little bit about your work as a someone who's uh, helping us better understand what you would refer to as behavioral storytelling. Great. Well, yeah, thanks again, Harris, for having me. And, and hi, everyone. I know some of you uh, we've met before at Story conferences and some of you were all meeting for the first time so it's uh it's awesome to be here um my background is pretty varied uh, it ranges from sales marketing business development to then uh, evolving into market research learning how to dig into what people think how they feel uh how those thoughts and feelings and opinions drive their decision making and that then led us into communications uh, development message development and this concept that Harris mentioned, behavioral storytelling, which is really about um, crafting stories that are designed to influence or persuade people's behavior, but based on the ways we know that people process information and make decisions. So whether it's, you know, an important topic like the American Heart Association trying to get people to be healthier for the sake of their own well-being, or whether it's for a company that's you know looking to sell a product and and break through in a crowded market if we use principles about how people process information and make decisions through the field of behavioral science and social psychology and things like that 
then stories can be deliberately crafted to be effective, not only for that audience, but for the specific goal uh, that we're trying to achieve. So that's the work that we do at, at Lillian Labs. And it's everything from crafting stories and speeches and presentations from scratch to taking ones that already exist and figuring out how to optimize and refine them. We also do speech, speaker coaching, presentation coaching to, to help presenters um, you know, deliver in the most effective way to an audience. Yes, I love that. All right, so we are relevant right out of the gate. Let's get everyone enrolled by show of hands. How many of you would like to be storytellers of influence? Like you want your stories that you tell to actually matter. I do. Okay. How many of you want to do work that actually makes a difference? Show of hands. Yeah. Okay. So really our, our ability today to gain some insights into making a bigger difference through the stories we tell um, is anchored in our understanding of what you're calling behavioral storytelling. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that so we can soak up as much wisdom from you as we can. Before we jump into that topic of conversation, I just want to address this right out of the gate because I've been dying to ask you this and we've both been busy. <laughs> um, and I, I give you full permission to be completely honest. Um, and part of the reason I want to get into this now instead of layers, because Ryan in the chat already asked it, classic in investigator question, what, uh, what is the reliability and validity numbers on the assessment? So let's just talk about the storytelling type assessment for a second, yeah. because even what we're talking, we're getting a little meta, but... Um, this entire series of online events over these five months is exploring these five types. And when I reached out to you and said, hey, I want to build a little type assessment, uh, you immediately had some questions. It's been a little while since we talked about that. Mm -hmm. How are these types of assessments uh, faulty? How can they help us? What's the good? What's the bad? What thoughts do you have on the subject? Let's just jump um, in. It's a great question. I mean, the truth is this particular assessment is, is not statistical. It's not um, quantitative. We're not asking enough questions. We're not asking enough people. So this is very much a qualitative uh, anecdotal exercise. Um, when you're looking to poll the entire United States and you have to hear from at least 1500 people of a certain makeup in order to have a certain degree of statistical confidence, that's one thing. Um, this is a type of assessment where I think what Harris's goal was, and, and I agree, and I think we got there, is to ask you a series of questions that get you thinking about yourself in a certain way. And based on that, we can make some assumptions about you based on how others who answer that question similarly uh, also turn out to think and behave and patterns that they follow. So it's really more of a pattern recognition uh, exercise and, you know, putting people, it's kind of like when you do, uh, you know, Enneagram or, or other types of personality assessments, of course, they tend to be much, much larger, but, um, we're still really looking to assess personalities with exercises like these. So uh, if you get to the end of the assessment and you just don't believe it, and you're thinking that is absolutely not me, then a, that could be true. Or B, you might be looking at yourself through uh, a little bit more of a narrow lens than you think, and uh, you might want to take a step back and, and really see if you really do have those qualities that you didn't, that you didn't think you have that the assessment has, has steered you toward. That's so good. 
That's so good. And so I, you know, this happens a lot, I think with the Enneagram, especially, I don't know how popular the Enneagram is up in Portland. It plowed through Nashville a few years ago and yeah. anybody and everybody was talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and those who actually, I started gravitating towards who were teaching the Enneagram really well, they would always talk about, um, you know, Hey, it's fine to take a test and to get your type or your, uh, Enneagram number, but the best way to identify it is to actually read about each one and do some sort of, uh, processing around it and go with the one that you most identify with. Um, does that sound healthy and accurate? Uh, yes, okay. absolutely. At the end of the day, you shouldn't let anybody put you in a box or tell you what you are. We don't know you that well. Even this assessment <laughs> doesn't know you at all. We're uh -huh. only processing the information that you're giving us. Yes. So if you don't feel that that's true to you, that's what's most important. Uh, yeah. Maybe think about why did the assessment put me in that box? Um, and is there anything about the way I see the world or I deliver information that I want to change because I don't want to be that type. I prefer to be another type or I think of myself as another yeah. type. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. All right. You heard it from the expert himself. I just wanted you to hear that from someone other than just me. So if you take the assessment, you're like, I'm not a one of those. That's okay. That's why we're having these conversations. So you get familiar with these different types and kind of get to know them a little bit and recognize, Hey, I probably have a core uh, draw to the power of story for a specific reason for this particular um, thing that I want to change or this particular outcome or objective that I have. Um, but don't don't take this don't take this too seriously. Go with go with what your instinct says. Um, okay, so that's great insight into your area of expertise as a researcher, as someone who focuses on behavioral storytelling. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Behavioral storytelling. Um, why should, regardless of what type of storyteller we are or what type of medium we work in, the type of stories we tell, why should every storyteller on the planet learn about behavioral storytelling? Okay, well, uh, clearly I'm biased in that regard, and it's very nice of you to, to tee that up for me. I will say that um, I'm in no position to say that everyone should. That's okay. Um, I did it. I did it for you. You did it. You did it. But uh, I'll give you a quick, uh, kind of a quick overview of what behavioral storytelling is and, and the framework that we use when we take people through it, which I think will help it make a little bit more sense. Uh, and then you can see the logic behind it. So there's five steps to behavioral storytelling. And the first one um, is based on the letter R, uh, and it's uncovering what is the real problem that your audience, your stakeholders to whom you're telling the story are looking to solve. And it's not the superficial problem that if you say, so what is it that you want to do? What are you trying to get out of this? The first thing out of their mouth will always be the superficial one that's not at the root cause. So it's peeling back that proverbial onion and getting down to the real kernel of what is really at the core of what this issue or problem is that your, your audience, your stakeholders, whether it's a client across the table or whether it's an audience of 1500 people. So getting down to that real problem, because that's where the emotional connection is. You get them past the logical and you get down to the emotional. So that's R. The next one is S and it's asking what's at stake if this real problem doesn't get solved, because if there are no stakes, there's no problem. So you have to understand if they don't solve that problem, what do they stand to lose? 
What's the harm that will come upon them? What will they not achieve that's important to them? So what's really at stake for them if they don't solve that real problem? P is then what's the prime outcome? And, and uh, uh, you know, with Harris on the call, I guess pun intended, but it's you're, you're going to wave a magic wand and make anything happen uh, to, that, that you would like re related to this problem. What would that be? What's the wave the magic wand solution in a perfect world? Uh, I wave a magic wand and the problem is solved and the stakes then go away. So that's P. Um, C is then the call to action. And that's really the, the heart of the story itself. So that's where you craft the story that addresses the real problem, connects it to the stakes, talks about your knowledge of what the prime outcome would be, and then also lays out the path for how they can get there. And this is where um, behavioral science comes into play, whether you're tapping into uh, you know, the cognitive biases that we know uh, you know, that people have in their minds, whether it's, you know, things like confirmation bias or loss aversion with work right. of Daniel Kahneman and others. And we can get into that a little bit more, or I can just leave you if you're not terribly familiar to, to look into cognitive biases on your own, but it's incredibly valuable to figure out the two or three that are most at play with this particular issue and then crafting your source, your story to either over overcome those or short circuit them. So if you can overcome it, if you can know the way a person is likely thinking and present your story in a way that can help them overcome that, that's great. If you can't quite do that, then what you at least want to do is try to take the legs out from under that bias so that it's simply collapses. It doesn't have any support anymore. It doesn't, it's not given any weight anymore. So that's why I call either, either overcome or short circuit if you need to. And then the final piece of behavioral storytelling is the T, which are testimonials, which is really based on, uh, you know, it all, it, for me, it's rooted in Seth Godin's quote in his book, Tribes, which is that people like us do things like this. So everyone to whom you're telling a story and you're trying to help solve a problem, they don't want to stick themselves out on a limb. They want to believe that what you're telling them is valid, is going to work, is going to help them. So anything that you can then do to show them examples of how others have benefited in the same way, and by following that call to action, they've achieved the prime outcome by addressing the real problem and eliminating the stakes. So that's RSPCT which uh, I call the respect framework. Uh, and that's really at the root of behavioral storytelling. So we tend to start there. It helps ground us in what we want to do. And then from there, we can, you know, we can really expand and, and turn it into whether it's a single presentation or an entire messaging campaign around a topic. R-S-P-C-T. I think it's easy to hear the word investigator and feel a little bit like, oh man, that must mean spreadsheets and data and nerdy stuff, right? But, but the way that David approaches his work by utilizing this framework is so practical and applicable to every storytelling type. I think everyone could get something out of this. He just leveraged his ability to read the data and understand the research to build something that makes sense to everyone in a tangible way. Plus, I don't know about you, but I now just want to sing uh, R-E-S-P-E-C-T by Diana Ross over and over because of it. Don't worry, I will not. 
do that to your ears while you are driving or walking or running or wherever you listen to this podcast. You're welcome. I hope that listening to this conversation, though, was super helpful to you and that you're able to utilize this framework in everything that you create. And this is why I'm always telling you on these episodes to listen in on each of the types, even if it's not your type, because it can really be a great way to figure out where the holes are or the gaps exist in what you're doing. You need to learn from others' strengths. It allows you to get clear from a different perspective or type, and that way you can leverage their knowledge and wisdom. It's super useful uh, as next steps for you. And so that's it for this episode of this podcast. But let me tell you, this Investigator Roundtable, it had more practical takeaways than just this one. So we broke it up into a couple different episodes for you. So be on the lookout for the next episode next week. Uh, There's some really good stuff headed your way. And again, if you haven't taken the storytelling type assessment, head over to storygatherings.com, find your storytelling type so you can get familiar with that core motivation as to why you tell and engage with stories the way that you do. And this was all started because of Story 2022 happening in Nashville this year and online, where we plan to spend a lot of time peeling back the layers of a very important question. That question is this, don't you know who you are? It was a line from the film Hook where Wendy leans in and says, Oh, Peter, don't you know who you are? And as I was rewatching that film with our kids, we just thought to ourselves, you know, that's a great time to pause and ask this question is this season that we've been through. Hey, don't you know who you are? It's a question we should all be asking ourselves on a regular basis, but I think there's no better time than now. And as we asked that question, we thought, well, goodness, I think there's a lot of different types of storytellers in this community let's figure out what type of storyteller we are but then let's pull back the layers and ask that question on a deeper level this year at story so if you don't have your ticket yet i promise you it will be a transformative experience if you come and you don't love it and it wasn't worth every single penny and then some just send me an email harris at storia.com Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. And I will personally pay you back for your ticket. Um, It is that good. Uh, I promise you will love it. So head over to story2022.com to grab your ticket. Again, you can join us online virtually if you don't feel comfortable coming to Nashville. For those who are, grab your in-person ticket is an immersive experience unlike any other. All right, as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, would be super grateful if you gave us a quick rating or review. It's an inspiration to us. It's affirming to us. It's helpful feedback to us. It tells us that we're on the right track uh, so we can continue to put out the best content tailored to right where you're at. All right. If you have any questions, again, hit me up, Harris at story.com. Otherwise, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I'll catch you here on the next episode of the Story Podcast. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.